What a glorious hymn to sing before we hear the Word of God preached. It is a question that we're going to have to ask ourselves today. Have you taken up your cross and are you following Christ? The passage today from John chapter 6, and if you have your Bibles, please open up. Jesus calls to light a very simple truth that not all that are following him are following him. That there are true disciples of Jesus Christ and there are false disciples of Jesus Christ. And we get them confused today and we have throughout the history of the church. If you have not taken up your cross and followed Jesus, then you are a false disciple. And that means the glorious ending of that, that glorious song does not apply to you. We want that to change today by God's grace, that you will hear the word. And if you do not know him, you will know him. If you are a false disciple, you will become a true disciple this morning by God's grace. You have your Bible. In John chapter 6, our Lord, he, he closes this incredible sermon and teaching and discourse in the bread of life with these words, verses 60 through 71, John 6, Jesus said, Many of his disciples heard it, and they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said to them, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed And have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, grant us grace this morning as you ask us these same questions. Do we find your word offensive? Do we find your son offensive? Do we want to leave too? I pray, Lord, by your grace, that as you ask us these questions, that we would answer them by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we are not offended by Christ, but we love Christ. And we do not turn from his word, but we embrace it. And we do not want to leave you. We want to come to you and stay with you and reside with you. Father, I pray that those are the answers on our hearts and minds this morning, that we might know that we are true disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we are walking with Him, that we have taken up our cross, and we are following Him. Give us that understanding this morning, I pray, and the power to live it out in Christ's holy name, to His glory. Amen. Amen. Are you well this morning? Are you, are you finished with Christmas? Are you? <laughs> Yeah, I know, enough of the big meals. It's all glorious, but it's also good when it ends, is it not? I mean, it's good when it ends. It's glorious to be around everybody, and it's good when everybody goes back to their homes. And it's good to have those meals, and it's good not to eat those meals sometime. Um, I pray that you're here this morning, and your desire is to worship Christ. That's why we gather. Uh, we, we are singing, and we pray, and we read Scripture, and by His grace, He will use me, a sinner, to preach the gospel of grace, and you will hear Christ in His Word. And if we're able to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, then he'll be pleased with this offering. And that's what it is. This is a worship service. This is an offering that goes up to him. And that's why we're here. I'm glad you're here. Um, so we've, we've spent a few weeks now in John chapter 6. And, and Jesus has been teaching this discourse on the bread of life. And it's a long discourse. And as we get to verses 60 through 71, our passage for today, it's the climax of it. And it's, it's, he has spoken so directly to him being the Messiah. And then he's made this call to all that were listening, the hundreds and the thousands that were listening, saying, you've got to come to me, and you've got to put your faith and your trust in me. 
Because if you don't come to me, you cannot have the Father. And if you don't have the Father, you don't have eternal life. You're not saved. And so he, he brings this final word which causes a, a separation. In fact, we've seen this throughout the history of the church. Even today, whenever the word of God is boldly proclaimed, it doesn't matter what time, what people, what place, whenever it is boldly proclaimed, there are three general responses to it. There are those who adamantly reject it. You have the scribes and the Pharisees of our, our Lord's day. They heard the word and they hated it and they hated him. And Jesus said they would not believe in me. And then you have this other group that we're going to see today, that people that superficially follow Jesus. I mean, they're around him and they're around the church and they, they like being fed and they like the miracles and they, they love it when someone tells them it's all going to work out and everything's going to be fine. But as soon as hard truth comes and as soon as a call to true discipleship comes, they leave. And then there's a third group, and this is the group that we all want to be in. True disciples. A true disciple of Jesus Christ, someone who hears his word, understands it, believes it, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit lives in accordance with it. They live in it by faith. A true disciple. By God's grace this morning, you will hear these words, you will understand, you will desire to submit to it, and you will then say, I'm walking with Christ because I am a true disciple too. And in this final public discourse, Jesus causes intentionally this severe sifting amongst all those that were following him throughout Galilee. And it's an outworking of what he had already taught in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, Jesus said, The gate is narrow, listen, saints, the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And this teaching we get from John chapter 6 is an application point. It's that very teaching being played out in the ministry of Jesus Christ in Galilee. And so I'd, I'd like to examine it too. He asks two fundamental questions, and I want to I ask it of ourselves. He asked it of the Galileans, and he asked it of the twelve, and I think they are questions that we need to ask and answer as well. Number one, do you take offense at the Word of God? Do you take offense at what God says? Number two, Do you want to leave? When you hear the word of God, do you want to leave? Do you take offense and do you want to go? Those are simple questions, right? We should be able to answer those today. And by God's grace, we will. We'll hear the answers from the Galileans. We'll hear the answers from the disciples. And then hopefully you'll have an answer as well, that you will. This is a very applicable passage for our lives as believers, disciples of Jesus Christ today. So let's look at the first question. Do you take offense at the word of God? Look at verses 60 through 62. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, if you remember, they they had followed him. They were in the Golan Heights. They had a fantastic meal. They chased him to Capernaum, and they're in a synagogue now listening to Jesus teach. And Jesus begins to bring this teaching of him being the bread of life and needing to eat his flesh and drink his blood to bear upon them that they might hear truth. And they can't stand what they're hearing. They hate what he's saying. And when when he says in verse 60, many of his disciples heard it, and they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? He's using that term disciple loosely. That's everybody at this point in time that's following him. Those who are following him in faith, who are really following him because he's the Christ. And then many others, most others, who were there for what? They were there for the meals because they were free. They were there for the miracles. Some are being healed, and some were just being entertained by watching people be healed. I mean, the guy's casting out demons, and he's, he's healing people that haven't walked or seen for years. And some are there because they think this is the guy that's going to overthrow Rome. I mean, this is the one that we've been waiting for. He's going to come in, he's going to cast out Rome, and Israel will finally be free again, finally rise to a place of prominence and power again. We're told that when they heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? What did they hear specifically that was so hard for them to hear? If you were here last week, you remember, certainly it was him saying, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, which as we know was not cannibalism. He was saying, you must look to me, you must believe in me, you must trust in me. He's calling them to an intimate relationship with him and absolute trust in his ability to save them. 
but it would include more than that. It was the entire discourse on the bread of life. Jesus Christ said that he is the bread of life that came down from heaven to offer them eternal life. This entire discourse, he kept saying, I'm real food and I'm real drink. And if you eat my food and you drink from my drink, he says, you'll never hunger again and you'll never thirst again. I mean, he had the audacity to say that if you believe in me and you trust in me, I will give you eternal life. Not only that, he said, I will raise you from the dead. These remarkable teachings from this incredible discourse on salvation culminate in most people rejecting him. They reject what he said, and they reject him, the messenger. They said, who can listen to it? And it was not because what Jesus was saying was incomprehensible. They understood exactly what he was saying. They didn't like what he was saying. They didn't like the fact that he was saying he is God, and that he is the Savior, and they must believe in him to have the Father. It was unacceptable to them, and therefore they rejected it. Now, throughout the history of the church, listen, saints, this is the normative response to, for false disciples. This is the response in hearing God's word. When, when things are good, when miracles are being performed and food's being passed out, and there's the thought that maybe you're going to overcome some form of oppression, that God's going to come in and he's going to help you out, help you in your job situation, help you with your marriage, help you with your kids. He's going to come in and do this great work. We follow Jesus. People love to follow God when they think God is doing good things for them. But when Jesus begins to teach to the depravity of the human heart, when he tells us honestly, you are sinful through and through, when Jesus begins to magnify the holiness and goodness of God, he says, my God will judge. And then he begins to teach that he alone is the means of salvation, that you must repent and you must believe and you must follow him, for he's the only way. When he begins to say these things, that he's the source of hope and the source of salvation, many turn away. Most turn away. We want God for the good things, but we don't want God for God, and we don't want Christ as Son, and we don't want anybody telling us that we have to believe in that man, Jesus Christ, to be saved. You see, the false disciple has no problem of thinking about Jesus as a baby in a manger. That's easy. The false disciple has no problem thinking about Jesus as a, as a, uh, a magical magician who has supernatural powers, or even a model citizen or you know, even someone who's going to be a social crusader. But when we present the Jesus of the Bible, when we teach that this is the Son of Man who came down from heaven, when we begin to teach of the holiness of God, and when Christ himself rebukes man for his sin, and then he warns us of the torments of hell, and that that is going to be our end if not for him saving us, when he offers us salvation through his broken body and spilled blood, when he says, listen, no religion, no work, nothing you can do to save yourself, when he says these things, people leave in droves. They run from the church and they run from the gospel. And as horrible as this is to turn away from Christ, and it is the worst thing that can happen to any soul, none who leave Christ surprise Christ. He's omniscient. He knows they're grumbling. Look at what he says to them. He knows they're grumbling. He says, do you take offense at this? Are you offended by this? Some of your translations read, does this cause you to stumble? That's a little better, but still not good enough. The word in the Greek, you'll know it. It's scandalizo, where we get the word scandal or scandalize. And it literally means, that word means to trap or to ensnare, to put to death, to kill an animal. And so, it might be better rendered like this. Jesus is asking them, does this prove fatal to you? Do my words ensnare you to death? In other words, and what I'm saying, Christ saying, is, is what I'm saying going to lead to you perishing? One may get over an offense, and you may, may even get up if you stumble, but a snare or a trap that is successful will lead to a victim's death. And so Jesus is saying this, are these statements of mine so difficult for you to hear, so impossible for you to believe that you're going to turn away from me, the one who has the power to save you? You're going to turn away from eternal life. You're going to turn away from the bread of life. Are these statements that Christ is saying so impossible for you to receive that you're actually going to perish as a result? This is what he's asking when he says, do you take offense at this? Is this offending you? 
And what I love, look at verse 62. Jesus is so gracious and so patient. In verse 62, after asking this question, is this going to lead to your death? He offers him another opportunity and another reason to believe. In verse 62, he says, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, the second question he asks here in the context of the first, there's a key to it, and I pointed this out, and I hope you got it again. He's already revealed that he's no ordinary man. He's revealed that through his teachings. He's revealed that his supernatural birth, as we saw last week, he's revealed it through the miracles, that that this Jesus of Nazareth is not an ordinary man. He said it in verse 27 and verse 53, and here in verse 62, he identifies himself as the Son of Man. Now, they knew that. That's the title for the Messiah. That's the title for the Savior. So Jesus is saying, listen, if anybody else is saying this, that they can offer you eternal life, that they are the bread that came down from heaven, that you eat their flesh and drink their blood, if anyone tells you they can raise you from the dead and it's not me, they're liars and you should reject it. But Christ is saying, I am the Son of Man. I am the one that all the prophets were pointing to. I'm the one that all the law was pointing to. He's saying, I'm the one, and therefore, I'm asking you, I told you that I'm the bread of life. Are you not going to eat? And then he says, when you see me ascending into heaven, he came down from heaven, and he will ascend into heaven, and he will be seated at the right hand of the Father as he is right now. He's saying, when you see that, what are you going to do? Are you still not going to believe? Because many saw that. Are they still not going to believe? He's asking them, will you continue in your unbelief and will you maintain your rejection of me and the salvation that I offer through my broken body and my spilled blood? Will you remain trapped? And the question for us today is, will you? Will you remain trapped and ensnared by your sin to death when you hear the word of God, when you hear the gospel proclaimed? This is a question that every one of us must ask. It's a question that every church must ask. Certainly today, Certainly in the South Bay, in San Jose, every single church needs to be asking this. We have so many churches right here in our own backyard that are filled with false disciples, and they don't even know they're false disciples. The pastors aren't even telling them they're false disciples. They're there because these preachers are telling them, you know, that God will will, will heal them of their sickness, and God will make them wealthy, and God will fix their marriage. And they come, and and they're being fed the wrong food rather than preaching a crucified Christ, or salvation by grace, or a call to holiness. I've often wondered, on Christmas Day, how many churches would be emptied by Jesus Christ preaching himself? I mean, how many churches here in San Jose, how long would it take for Jesus to empty some of these these warehouses that are filled by hundreds or thousands of people on a Sunday morning? How many sermons of our Lord? One, two, three at most. As he opens his mouth, And he begins to declare the glory of God and the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man and the need to repent and the need to believe and the need to follow him. I dare say in a matter of weeks, those those crowded warehouses would become empty shells if Jesus Christ were to preach. How quickly they would be ensnared by his words. So I ask you as I ask myself, what hope is there for us of not being ensnared to death by our own unbelief? What hope is there for me? What hope is there for you when you are offended by the word of God? You've been offended, haven't you? I know you've been offended by what I've said. I can see it sometimes on your faces when I say it and you go, oh, I hate that. The mistake you make is you hate me for saying it when it's the word of God. So the question you should be asking is, why do I hate what God is saying? You can hate me all you want. You don't want to hate God and you don't want to hate God's word. Our Lord gives us an answer to our own question here of being offended in verses 63 through 65. Look with me. Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Verse 65. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So do you take offense at the word of God? Jesus is saying, you absolutely will. Jesus is saying, everybody does, unless they are born again, unless they come to God 
by the power of the Holy Spirit that they might hear, understand, believe, and walk with Christ. In other words, he's saying this is the universal response to the gospel of grace. You ever wondered why so many people that you share the gospel with reject it? You ever wonder why that is at work, at home, in your neighborhoods? Why does everybody reject this? Because Jesus said right here that they will continue to reject unless what? He said here he uses the word grant. No one can come to Jesus unless it is granted to him by the Father. We looked last week and a couple weeks back about he must draw them. He must woo them. He must bring them in. In other words, our sin disposition is so dark and so rebellious against the living God that until he, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, until he makes us alive, we cannot see or enter the kingdom of heaven. Until you are born again, you cannot hear the word of God without being offended. You ser- Many of us can't even understand it without being born again, but even if we do understand it, we hate it. We hate it. How many of you, how many times, heard the word of God before you were born again, and you said, wretched statements, horrible things, horrible things. I remember the first sermon I heard in this, in this church before I was a believer, and I heard the man preach, and I thought, that's terrible stuff, and I was unsaved. And so the words, I hated the words. Why? Because God had not drawn me in. I had not been born again. I had not been granted access to the Son by the Father. And that word grant, it means to enable or to cause someone to turn away from sin and away from the self and turn to Christ. And Jesus makes this clear in verse 63. Look again. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Only the Holy Spirit, by God's divine election, making you alive, will enable you to hear, understand, and want to follow Jesus. The flesh, and that term here, it's, it's used in the holistic sense. That means your mind, your will, your emotions, your reason, your work. Anything done apart from the Spirit of God is of no help in you hearing, understanding, and submitting to the Word of God. It's no help. That's why you can have brilliant men and brilliant women Clear thinkers, great logic, great reason, not submit and understand the word of God. They cannot, Jesus is saying, unless the spirit of God makes them alive. It is of no help. And that's why their response, look at verse 60 again. Their response should make sense to us in that they were not saved. These magnificent truths of heaven and salvation and Christ as the Savior, they say this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now, these were not stupid people. Many of these were very learned men. These were sons of Abraham. These were people who knew and loved the laws of Moses. These were people who listened to the prophets. These were men who had submitted themselves to the rabbinical laws and teachings of great religious practice and exercise, and yet they heard the words of Christ and they hated it. They absolutely hated it. He offered them life freely by grace. He said, I'm going to set you free from that religious trap that you've ensnared yourself in. I'm going to give you life by my broken body and spilled blood. And they said, we don't want it. We don't want it. And they turned from him by the hundreds. In fact, he goes so far. Look at the latter part of verse 63. He goes so far as to say to them, listen, my words aren't just normal words. My words are powerful words. Verse 63, the words that I have spoken to you are what? They are spirit and they are life. So not only does he say what I'm saying is true, he's saying the words that I speak, they're spiritual words and they have life in them that if you hear them and you believe, you will have life in you. This is the gospel he's been preaching the whole time on the holiness of God and the goodness of God and man's sin and himself as the Savior and this gospel that he's been calling every man and every woman to repent and believe and follow him. He's saying there's power in that. Life-giving words. That's why Paul says so assuredly in Romans 1.16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Maybe we should all say this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. You say, oh, that's why you preach the gospel every Sunday. That's not the only reason, but that's one of the main reasons. It is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. That they might know Christ. They might hear his word, and instead of being offended by it, they submit to it. 
What a glorious thing that can happen on any Sunday in any church that by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word, someone repents and someone believes and they stop hating God. Oh, if we could have that by the thousands in this area. In Luke chapter 8, when Christ was told by the crowd that his mother and his brothers were trying to reach him, do you remember what he said? He said, my mother and my brothers are those who what? Who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus is saying, my family, those who belong in my father's kingdom, are those who hear the word of God and do the word of God. So that means, my beloved, it's not sufficient to just come on a Sunday morning and listen to some man rant and rave about Christ and go, yeah, I heard him, I heard him. It's doing what is said. So much more difficult. Look at verse 64. But there are some, Jesus said, of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. All those not granted access to the Son by the Father would not believe and do not want to believe. They heard our Lord's word. They heard the promises. They saw the glory manifest in miracle upon miracle. They heard him say, I am the Son of Man. They, they, he, they heard him say, these words have power in them to make you live now and forever. And they refused. It literally says in the Greek, they have no faith. They don't want to have faith. They don't want to believe. Listen, saints, don't ever think for a moment there's someone who wants to believe in Christ and then cannot because God the Father does not grant them access. There is no such man and no such woman ever born in all of human history. No one wants to believe in Christ. No one wants to follow Christ unless God saves them. That's why we call it regeneration. You have to be made alive, right? Be made alive. So they followed Jesus all over Galilee. They went from Cana to Nazareth. They went from Nain to Capernaum. They went from the Golan Heights back to their synagogue. And one thing we get that's crystal clear here, they were there for the wrong reasons. They were false disciples. They liked the food. They thought the miracles were pretty good, pretty neat. They thought maybe he's going to do something about Rome because we don't like the Romans. When Jesus starts talking about the holiness of God and the depravity of man and him being the Savior, they say, enough of that. Who can bear this teaching? Eating your flesh and drinking your blood, following you, dying for you? No way. And they left. And they left. The dwelling of the Holy Spirit in a man is necessary for that man to hear God's word and respond correctly. Second question for us then, which I think is even more telling than the first. Second question, do you want to go too? Maybe we could ask that at this point in the sermon. How many of you said enough of this? Enough of the word? Enough of this. I I am ready to go. I'm not going to leave because it would be socially inappropriate. I mean, social etiquette does a lot for us, right? I mean, you don't want to be the person that gets up and, and leaves right now. How embarrassing, right? But do you want to in your heart? Do you want to just go because you're tired of the word? Tired of the word. I know that many places that do not preach the word are filled on Sunday mornings because it's easy. If I were to come up and talk to you about my Christmas and the wonderful meal that my wife prepared and some of the presents that my, my children received and I told you about how Jesus Christ is the ultimate gift and if you just open up Jesus and then you'll have a great life too, I mean, you would stay. You'd say, oh, that's great stuff to hear. And then we'd actually, we'd have to blow out some of these walls and, and expand this place because it would fill. But when the word of God goes out, false disciples hate it and they leave. And true disciples say, I want more of the word. So let's look at this second question and see if we can answer it ourselves. Do you want to leave too? Look at verse 66. After this, Jesus said, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. After what? Well, you say, well, after the entire discourse, after him saying that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. Look at verse 64. This was key But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus called them out lovingly, but he called them out. He's saying, I know why a lot of you are here. I mean, you love all the stuff that I'm doing, but you do not believe. 
He's saying to them, you refuse the gift of my Father, and therefore you are not my disciples. Our Lord, He labored faithfully, and He labored patiently, but He calls every man to make a choice. He says to every man, it's black and white. Are you going to follow me, or are you not? And there's no in-between road. So if you think you're kind of following Christ, then you're not following Christ. He says, follow me in faith. Make me your Lord and Savior. Or turn back to your old way. It's one or the other. It's another reason that so many people hate this teaching. It's black and white. You're following Christ or you're not. He's your Lord and Savior or he's not. I don't say those things harshly. That's what the Bible says. That's true. That's true. It literally says here that they turned to the, the things behind in other words, they didn't, they didn't want to walk with Christ and participate in this great redemption of man. They turned back to their old life. Jesus came on scene. They liked the things that he was doing. They didn't like what he was saying. And so they went back to their common everyday affairs. There was a young man here years ago. I wish he were the only one. Several people came to mind. A young man who was here for a while. He made a profession of faith. We baptized him in this church. And he walked for some time, for some time, and it looked like he was making good growth. And then at some point in time, throughout the teaching and throughout the preaching, he said to me, these teachings are too restrictive. I said, which ones? He said, all of them. All of them. And I said, you mean the Word of God? He says, yeah, I'm really not liking what it says. And he left. And he went back. He no longer professes Christ. And what did he go back to? He went back to the things behind. He went back to his old way of life. It's the most dreadful place, Peter says in 2 Peter 2.20, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled, same word, ensnared in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. How horrible to come in to the presence of God's children and how horrible to taste of Christ and to hear of salvation by grace through faith in Him. How horrible to be baptized and then to go back to the old ways and to perish in that state. Jesus is teaching from this discourse something that is absolutely clear and needs to be clear to us. That following Him, listen, my beloved, following Him is more than a casual acquaintance or some fickle type of allegiance to him. Following him, and when it says pick up your cross and follow Christ, it means complete and total surrender. Does that offend you? That's what offended them. When he said you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, he's saying you must come and surrender and follow me. He's saying I'm God, you're man. I'm the Savior and you need to be saved. A complete and total submission to God of everything. Everything. That is the true disciple says, All right, Lord, my circumstances, my money, my job, my future, my education, my marriage, my children, my life, my death, my church, everything I'm putting in your hands. I'm trusting in you. That's offensive to the flesh. The flesh doesn't want to give up anything. The flesh says, you're not going to touch my money, you're not going to touch my marriage, and you're not going to touch my career. Is it any wonder they hated it so? He's saying, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to have eternal life. And he says this because he knows that eternal life is knowing the Father, and he knows that the only way to the Father is through him. And so he said, you reject me, you reject the Father, and you reject the Father, you have no eternal life. You have no life. You have no life. That's why he says, come to me. Come to me and eat from me and drink from me so I can bring you with me into heaven. My beloved, there's a radical transparency about this time of year in that it is, I I believe, so transient. There are things, and I mentioned this last week, there are things that, that we so enjoy about this time of year when family gathers and we have that good food. There's something we enjoy, about, but it's, it's, it's transient. We miss it. We can't hold on to it. And I don't know if it's because my, my wife just turned 50 recently, and I'm going to be 50 soon too, but I, I think, okay, what, what do we have? 10 years? 20? 30? What? And then what? And then what? And then eternity where? Eternity with whom? 
When Christ asks them these questions, he's not being hard. He's not being rude. He wants them to stop and think. And then what? If you're offended by God's word now, and then what? You'll be offended forever. If you leave him now, then what? You're left forever without him. Saints, these are not tenable options for any thinking man or woman. None. Especially you, you who are young. Jesus invited them to believe that they might know the Father and they might have life. It was too much for them. And so they rejected his words and they rejected him. And tragically, they returned to their sin and unbelief. And it is tragic. It's the most tragic thing. They're standing in the presence of God. They're standing in front of God and they say no to God. They say to God, we won't be saved. We won't be saved by your son. Now, our Lord, because he's God, he's so sensitive to the thinning of this ranks. I mean, imagine you have hundreds, if not thousands of people, and they're all leaving. They're all departing. And they're saying, we can't listen to this anymore. We can't listen to this man anymore. We can't follow this man all over Galilee anymore. And he turns to the disciples. Can you imagine their faces? They're looking, going, where's everybody going? All these people, they followed us for months. Where are they going, Lord? So he turns to them. Look at verse 67. It is a question that has captivated me since I came to a saving grace in Christ, and I'm sure will captivate me until I see him. He says, do you want to go as well? Do you want to leave too? He's not being harsh. In fact, it's hard to communicate this. In the Greek, he's asking this very gently. It is a gentle question. And he's asking it with an expectation of their response. You say, well, that's not fair. He knows their response. Of course he does. He knows their response. It, it, it literally says in the Greek, it says, you do not also want to go away, do you? Or it is not your desire to depart and go away also, is it? And he asked them not because he wants to know. It's not for his own knowledge. He knows that all but one are going to stay with him and stay the course and become pillars in the church. He knows that. He asked them this question to bolster and affirm their faith. They're sheep. And when the sheep leave, sheep want to go. The sheep like to stick together. And so as the multitudes are departing and leaving, he turns to them to increase their faith. It's no different today. As the culture moves exponentially against God, Christ, the gospel, and his church, there's a pull upon the sheep in the church to leave as well. Some of you have felt that pull. It's been pulled by, it's been exercised by your employer saying you must work on Sunday. It's been exercised by your friends who say, come, you know, what are you gathering with those people for? What are you praying with those people for? Come with us and have a good time with us on this day. You're pulled. Jesus asked them this question that he might increase their faith, that they might be firm and stay the course. He asked every soul that continues to follow him this same question again and again. Do you want to leave? Ten years in the faith, do you want to leave? Twenty years in the faith, do you want to leave? I imagine one of the last questions, before you die, he'll say, do you want to leave? He asks this by saying, once you have learned the truth of this calling, once you've come to understand, Jesus says, the commitment that I am seeking from you, Once you come to say that he is God and he tells you to count the costs of true discipleship. That song we had to sing, just had a chance to sing from Matthew 16 when he says, if any one of you wants to follow me, you must what? You must turn from your selfish ways. You must take up your cross and you must follow me. That means you must die to your life and follow Jesus. Or maybe you will read ahead and you get to John 15, 20 when Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. And you say, wait a minute. What did you say? I'm going to follow you, but I don't want to be persecuted. If you want to follow Jesus Christ and you want to be persecuted, you can't follow Jesus Christ. If you want to follow Jesus Christ and live your own life, you can't follow Jesus Christ. So he says to us, Will you go away too? Will you leave me? Jesus says, when you understand all this. 
And I do believe one of the great tests for the saints is that after they come to a saving grace and they grow in the wisdom and knowledge of God as they read their Bible and by God's grace hear good preaching and good teaching that they actually stay. I mean, it's one thing to hear the gospel and repent and believe. It's another thing to stay the course when you begin to say, this this is what he's asking? My whole life? Your whole life. Surrender? Complete. Everything? Everything. Persecution? Persecution. Are you going to stay? Are you going to stay? My beloved, the longer I pastor, the longer I walk with Christ, the more I believe that road is narrow. I know you say, well, Jesus said that. Of course it is. I know that. But in my mind, I want it to be much more broad. That has not been the case for me here in the past 20 years being here at this church. I see it to be more and more narrow when so many people that have come in, that have professed Christ, and I believe to be true disciples, stumble on basic teachings of our Lord. I'm talking basic things like marriage, divorce, reconciliation, forgiveness, community, the church, a biblical love for one another. All fundamental doctrines of the gospel of grace. But people who have come and have heard these have rejected them. And then they've left. They would not submit. Now, I'm not saying that we are to hear and, and do these things perfectly. We will not. We will hear and by God's grace submit with much imperfection, much stumbling, much confession. That's going to happen. But it cannot be with willful, unrepentant, continuous sin. You can't hold on to something that is counter Christ and embrace that as a life doctrine, a life teaching. Not without violating Hebrews 10, 26, and 27. Listen to this. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, that's God's word. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, the Bible says, these are brutal words, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversary. You can't remain in in unrepentant, willful sin and have a covering. You can't leave Christ and have a covering. And grievously, this has not been uncommon here at CABC, and I would imagine every church that faithfully preaches and teaches the Word of God, it's not uncommon there either. For those of you who have been here a while, we've seen many respond to basic Christian truths like that of the Galileans saying things like, I will follow Jesus and submit to the word of God as long as it does not require anything of me that I don't already want to do. As long as the preaching and teaching fits my prescribed worldview, then I will follow Jesus. As long as you say what I want to hear. Saints, much of what I preach, my flesh doesn't want to hear. There was a couple not too long ago who was visiting our church and they were attending this, the morning seminar and it was glorious. We just so happened to be doing a seminar on biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Now that is a highly controversial issue given the culture's confusion on gender and gender roles. And by God's grace, we were teaching from the word of God very basic teachings on a man's role and a woman's role in the home, in the church, in the culture. They were glorious teachings straight from the word of God. But the word of God came against this couple. And they refused to submit to what God had to say about women in particular. And rather than sitting down, here's the Berean spirit, rather than sitting down, opening their Bibles, grabbing some of you, grabbing me, and Pastor Chris, hey, I don't get this, explain it to me. What did they do? They left. They said, I don't like that word. And like the Galileans, they simply left. My beloved, that is a catastrophic approach to the word of God. It is utterly catastrophic for you to hear the word of God and simply depart. Why? Two reasons. One, it will leave you completely unchanged. You will remain a sinner. Instead of the word transforming you, you will manipulate the word to get it to say what you want it to say. In other words, you will stay the same. But worse yet, you will not be sanctified. Worse yet, you are without a savior. You cannot follow Jesus Christ unless you surrender to his word. You cannot. Jesus expects complete and total surrender. 
In other words, his word is non-negotiable. Does that offend you? It must, some. It's non-negotiable. That means if you don't understand something or you don't like something, you don't leave, what do you do? You get answers and ask questions for how long until you get answers. Ask them for a year or 10 years or 50 years. Some of us aren't going anywhere. So say, hey, I got a question. This may take months or years. Let's, let's put it out there on the table. And by, the, by God's grace, the Holy Spirit, it won't take that long. Ask the hard questions. Get the answers instead of just leaving. If you take the revealed word of God and you pick through it like a, like a bag of nuts and then you take out all the cashews, if you're like me, and you leave the walnuts. I don't like walnuts. I know, some of you do, that's fine. You take the walnuts and I'll, I'll eat your cashews. If you pick through it like that, only eating the pieces of the Bible that you like and you leave the rest aside, then you're not following Christ, you're following yourself. And if you're following yourself, go back to verse 63, the flesh is of no help to you at all. You cannot save yourself. So the question then should be, Will you submit to Jesus when his ways and his words are contrary to every fiber of your fleshly being? Will you submit when you say, I don't want to? That's a great question. Will you pursue him and submit to him and love him as the Bible prescribes when you want to rebel? That's a great question for the true disciple. You say, Lord, you changed my heart. I don't want to submit right now, but I'm going to because I know that you're good. I don't understand it right now, but I want to. Please teach me. The true disciple will press on in the word that the word might change them rather than they trying to change the word. This is true submission, heart and actions. I'm not talking about that external go through the motions type of submission. We all do that well. We all did that well when we were kids. I'm talking about your heart and your lives being aligned. I mean, Judas probably is the greatest example of the hypocrisy in someone following Christ, right? He stayed with Christ to the end, but he was never with him. He was never with him. So what, what is the response of the 12? Peter speaks out. Of course it's Peter. Would you expect anybody else but Peter? Peter answers, but he answers on behalf of them all, and he declares their allegiance to Jesus and their acceptance of his teachings in a most glorious, magnificent fashion. I, this, this, this passage, these verses, you've heard me quote it several times. I remember the first time reading it and studying it, I thought, these are glorious words. Why are they so glorious? Because Peter's so fantastic? No. They're glorious because God gave them to Peter. God gave them the disciples. Look at, look at verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, remember? He says, are you going to leave too? Are you going to go with the rest? And Peter answered him. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You can't preach a bad sermon preaching that passage. Peter answers Jesus' question with another question. It's rhetorical. He says, Lord... Where are we going to go? To whom should we turn? He's saying, Jesus, you alone have the words of eternal life. You alone are the Savior. You alone are the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? His emphasis is on Jesus possessing words of eternal life. In other words, Peter's saying, it's impossible for us to leave. We have, we have nowhere to go. We can't leave you say, what, were they bound? They were bound by their own hearts at that time, yes. Because they realized that only Christ could save them. They realized that only Christ had words of eternal life. And only the fool, blinded by sin, turns away from salvation. Only the fool and their hearts have been changed. And therefore, of the 11, right? One was not, but the 11 said, we can't go anywhere. We don't want to go anywhere. You have words of eternal life. And then in 69, he says, we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Not only do we accept your teachings, Peter says, and we believe everything that you've said, even though we don't understand half of it. 
He says, more importantly, we know who you are. He says, we, we have come to believe and know in our hearts and minds, we know who you are. I mean, how many times did he have to tell them, don't tell anybody yet, don't tell anybody yet. They must have been bursting. We know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. The Holy One of God. Separate from this world that's bathed in sin and yet on a mission from God to come into this world bathed in sin and redeem people to take a church and set it apart and make it holy unto God. His glorious mission. Holy One of God, Holy One of Israel. I had Pastor Kurt read Isaiah 43. Listen again. Same one in the Old Testament. Isaiah 43. Now thus says the Lord, fear not, for I have redeemed you. This is Christ. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. And then listen, he identifies himself. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Centuries before Christ is on scene. Centuries before the disciples say, you are the Holy One of God. He's already been declared so in the prophets of the Old Testament. In fact, in the New Testament... That title, Holy One of God, it's only used one other time. He's teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, and we're told this, and listen to who identifies him. This is fascinating. Mark chapter 1, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, this is the demon now, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So who knows this now? Jesus knows it, the Father knows it, the Holy Spirit knows it, 11 of the 12 disciples know it, and the demons know it. How would the demons know it? Well, they were there. They were with Jesus in the beginning when Satan fell and a third of the angels fell with him. They know exactly who he is. What a profound testimony to Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God. And so when the, when the 12 say this, when Peter says this on behalf of them, they are ascribing to Jesus the highest possible place and position and power. They can't raise him any higher when they say, you are the Holy One of God. Oh, they all believed it but one. Look at verse 70. Verse 70. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? That, that means, did I not call you by name? And that literally is he handpicked them. And then he said, and yet one of you is a devil, not literally a devil, but filled. 71, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Judas was a false disciple. Judas walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Jesus saw, Judas saw Jesus do the miracles. Judas sat before Christ and heard him teach things that many others did not. And yet he was a false disciple. Why? He was never born again. He was never born again. True and false disciples fill the churches today. And Camden Avenue is no exception. So how can you know that you're a true disciple? I would, I would argue if you ask most people who profess Christ, are you a true disciple? Most people would say, yes, I am. We would probably assume that, right? If you would ask most Galileans who were following Christ during the Galilean ministry, are you a true disciple? Most would have said, yes, I am. I'm following him, aren't I? I'm eating the food that he's making, aren't I? I'm fascinated by the miracles, aren't I? I'll give you a few distinguishing marks and I'll close as you ask yourself again. Are you a true disciple? Does his word offend you? Do you want to leave? I'll just give you a few. One, a true disciple will desire and strive, desire and strive to submit to the whole counsel of God even when the teachings are difficult. The whole counsel. We won't pick and choose. We will say, this is the word of God, but say it. You won't be, now listen closely, you won't be offended by the word of God to the point that, one, you remain in willful, unrepentant sin, or two, you leave. I'm not saying the Word of God won't offend you. You still have the flesh to battle with. It offends me. 
You know, there are times when I'm beginning to prepare the sermon at the very beginning of the week. I'm like, this is offensive, Lord. I'm thinking, how can I say this? I don't like it myself. What do you do with that? The true disciple will not willfully, unrepentantly continue in that vein. And the true disciple will not leave when they hear that. I would argue that most of the Bible will offend your flesh, if not all of it. Your flesh hates the Word of God. Your flesh hates God. So when God speaks, your flesh doesn't like it. But the true disciple, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knows that. They know they're in that Pauline, Romans 7, flesh and spirit battle. And you say, I will not let the flesh win. I will hear this word as hard as it is for my ear, as much as it stings. And I will submit to it. I will long to understand it. I will long to love it. Because that's where you want to be. I mean, we want to be like David, where we talk about the word of God as that honey on our lips. That's something that we long for and we desire to have. And that takes place as you grow in Christ. You go from being offended to submitting, to loving to submit. That's great sanctification. You won't be ensnared to death. You will believe and know that he is the Holy One of God. So that's one. Number two, a true disciple will, say, will stay the course. You say, well, that's pretty simple. It is and not. It's simple to see. It's not easy to do. It's impossible apart from Christ. You're going to stay the course. In fact, John, a little bit later in his letter, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, he tells this about false disciples. He tells us this, listen. He said, they went out from us. Those are people who left the church, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all, that, that all are not of us. And that is such an important message, I believe, for the church proper today. As many places are filled, as, as seats are filled, the pastors say, not all here truly believe. And we don't want to believe that. We all say, well, that must be the other churches. But not all here believe. You will be like Peter. If you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you will say, where else am I going to go? To whom am I going to turn? You will know that Jesus has the eternal words of life, and you will know that he is the Messiah. And you will be rendered by your own heart in that personal, intimate relationship with Christ. You'll be rendered with him. How glorious that you're stuck with God, and that you say, I can't leave. In fact, I've offered this counsel. You might not think it wise. Maybe it's not. People said, I don't know that I'm really saved. I said, well, then try to leave. I've struggled with the assurance of my faith. I said, well, then try to leave. Try to reject Christ. What will you do? Well, I can't. Well, then what does that mean? If you can't leave Christ, if you can't not stop, if you can't not read his word, if you can't gather with the saints, then that means something. At least at that moment it does. All right, last one. True disciples, true disciples. They know and they believe that Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God and they remain and grow in that truth. They know. They know. And there's nothing that could shake that out of you. There's no persecution. There's no torture. There's no bribe. There's no temptation that could shake out of you, you knowing and believing that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And God's given that to you. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know that because he's made that known to you, but you cannot ever not know that. You are permanently changed. The Bible says it's the seal of the Holy Spirit on you. Your heart has been so changed by the gospel of grace that not only, not only will you continue to know and believe that Jesus is the Holy One, it'll grow. You will grow. You will grow in your knowledge and belief in Him, in your love of Him. You will grow in understanding the immeasurable sacrifice that He made to save you. You will grow in your appreciation for that sacrifice as you gaze upon His body upon the cross. You'll be overwhelmed with the thought that God the Father forgave us in light of what we did to His Son. You'll be moved to tears regularly in seeing the grace and the love and the mercy that flows from His blood. You'll be overwhelmed by it. And if someone says to you, then leave Him, reject Him, you say, I never will, I cannot, I cannot. 
I am his and he is mine. That is such a glorious place. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians 1, he put it like this. He said, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, listen to this, and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as what? As a guarantee. The true disciple is guaranteed to be in Christ now and forever. There is no greater guarantee. Eternal life of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as a result of the great work of Christ on the cross. In a day and age, my beloved, when discipleship is grievously defined today as attending church, that's not discipleship. And where the word of God seems to be compromised at every turn and in every place, let us hear our Lord's parting words to the Galileans this morning. And let us take with great seriousness this glorious call to follow Christ. He's done in Galilee. He goes now to Jerusalem and Judea, and his ministry ends there. But what fitting words for the Galileans. Do I offend you? Do my words cause you to stumble? Are you going to leave me too? If you have not asked and answered those questions this morning, do so before the end of this day. Ask yourself, does Christ offend you? Does his word cause you to stumble? And if so, saints, confess that to God. Turn from that. Ask him to give you a heart to not be offended by his son and not be offended by his word. I know, I was there, I hated Christ and I hated his word and God changed my heart and he can change yours too. So if you say, I am that person, I'm the false disciple, I hate the word, confess that to God and he'll give you a love for the word, he'll give you a love for Christ. And if to that second question you say, I want to leave every day, well, that's both a confession and a praise. Confess that to God. Ask Him to give you a heart to stay. And then praise Him because you haven't left yet. Right? I mean, praise Him. You haven't left yet. Those who persevere to the end shall be saved. You're still persevering. Praise God. So thankful you're here. I'm so thankful you know Christ. Let us pray that God would continue to enable us to hear, to understand, to rejoice over, and to submit to and love every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, to know it, to love it, and to submit to it. That takes study, it takes time. My beloved, I am so blessed. I have the greatest job in the world, if you can call it that. I get to spend most hours of every day studying the Word of God, and I can tell you this, I barely know it. I barely know it, and I want to know it so much more. And I realized if I had started when I was two, and I lived to be 102, and I studied it every day of my entire life, I would still know so little and want to know so much more. You have treasures in your hands. If you don't ask, I'll give you one. You have treasures in your hand in the Word of God. Long to know that. Search it out. Seek it out every day. Ask God to give you desire to feed on it. It is real food and it is real drink. And if you eat from it and you drink from it in the Holy Spirit, you will not be hungry and you will not thirst. These seasons like this, they'll come and go and you'll arise on the the 26th of December, the day after Christmas, and it'll be more glorious than the day before. No presents, no family, no food, and more glorious. Why? Because you have Christ and you have his word and you hunger no more. And that's just a foretaste of forever. What a glorious thought. Forever with Christ. When our faith becomes sight. What a day that will be. I can't wait. Can't wait. Let's pray that God sustains us to this end. Let's pray that we will not turn back. Let's pray that we will not be fooled like the Galileans, thinking that we know him and not know him. Let's know him. And let's let's work with each other to know him. And let's not be okay with people we know not knowing him. 
Let's not, be, let's, let's not be okay with people who don't know him not knowing the gospel. Let's not be okay with that. Let that stirring in your heart say they don't know him. They don't know the gospel. Let's pray that we will remain steadfast. And we will know two things. One, his words are eternal. And two, he's the holy one of God. His words are eternal. He's the holy one of God. What a great close to a glorious discourse on the bread of life. I and mean, what a glorious close. So many leave, and yet Jesus keeps calling them back. By God's grace this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have heard and understood what Jesus has said. If I've caused you any offense, please forgive me. Hear his words. Hear his words. And by his grace, know this morning that you are a disciple of his. And if you don't know that, then this morning, repent and believe and become a disciple of his. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait till tonight or tomorrow. You don't know if this day God will call you home. You don't know if this day you'll stand before him and have to give an account for your life. And it must be in Christ that there is to be life this day. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we, if we know this to be true, if we know your word and understand it and submit to it in love, and if we know that Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God, it's only because you have made us alive. I am so thankful you did that. I'm so thankful for those here that you've saved. I'm so thankful for the brothers and sisters we have throughout the history of the church that you've redeemed by the blood of your Son. I can't wait to meet them. I can't wait for that day, Lord, when you gather your church around the throne and we collectively with one voice sing praises to our God. Father, give us a love for your word, I pray. Give us a love for your son. You must do that great work in us. We pray that you would, by your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.